This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Hello, and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. In today's episode, we're looking into the future of healthcare. Chris Ingersoll of R1RCM will be talking about what we can expect from both in-person and telehealth visits, as well as the future of working from home. But first, let's go beyond the news with Rich and Chad. Could safety net hospitals be in store for a multi-billion dollar boost later this year? That and more in today's episode of Beyond the News. Hello, this is Rich Daly, senior writer and editor for HFMA. Hi, this is Chad Mulvaney, a policy director for HFMA. Thanks for joining us once again on Beyond the News. This is where we take a quick peek at the significance of recent healthcare finance news developments. So this week, we're going to be looking at something that caught my eye, which was the analysis of my colleague, Chad, of an unexpected or coming development that could uh, dramatically affect uncompensated care dish payments from the federal government. So, Chad, could you give us broad strokes? What factors are at play here people should be aware about? You know, for anybody who's familiar with the dish formula and specifically the uncompensated care dish formula, you know, there are three factors that go into the calculation. There were a couple of things that caught my eye when I was reading the proposed rule. And the first was that factor one, kind of the overall size of the pool that they start out with, was about a billion dollars lower between 2020 and 2021 for reasons that they didn't clearly explain. And that's a projection from the office of the actuary. So I'm not sure how much movement there is potentially between proposed and final for that. The other thing that caught my eye, and this is also something that comes from CMS's estimates and analysis, was that the uninsured rate, which is used to determine factor two, which is kind of the size of the pool that ultimately gets allocated to qualifying DISH hospitals, was 9.5%. And that number has long sort of trailed the sort of steady increase that we've seen in the uninsured rate and was certainly developed before we saw the COVID-induced downturn. But it strikes me that that rate is now unrealistically low, given the significant economic dislocation that we've seen, even if you assume we're going to have some type of recovery between now and 2021 or the start of Fed physical year 2021. And so even if you adjusted that uninsured rate upwards by 2%, 2.5%, that's a billion to $2 billion worth of additional uncompensated care dish dollars that could be allocated to providers. And that's certainly something that HFMA in its comment letter to CMS on the IPPS 2021 proposed rule will be asking for. So a couple billion dollars more, could that be uh, pretty significant for hospitals involved? Yeah, yeah. Certainly if you are a hospital that provides a high volume relative to other hospitals of uncompensated care, it could certainly be a material pop when you're in your DRG payments. Certainly a billion or $2 billion is nothing to sniff at in this environment. And then uh, when any kind of timeline or when we might actually know what's going to be the outcome on this? So, Rich, I would look for that towards end of July, probably this year, 
early in August, just given how late everything was, we'll know whether CMS has gone back and made revisions to either of those factors. All right. Well, something to keep an eye on, and I'm sure we'll be checking back in with you on that. So thanks a lot for taking the time to connect with us today on this, Chad. Hey, Rich. Always always good to talk with you. For uh, more up-to-date information uh, as we track the daily developments in coronavirus and other areas of healthcare finance, please check out our website at hfma.org forward slash news. Hi, I'm Joe Pfeiffer, President and CEO of HFMA. Without question, we're living in uncertain times during this COVID-19 pandemic, and the amount of information online and in your inbox must be pretty overwhelming. HFMA is helping its members make sense of it all. We've set up a special page on our website to provide members with a consolidated view of COVID-19 news coverage and its effect on healthcare finance. Visit hfma.org, click Topics, then coronavirus. We also invite you to share your thoughts and concerns with other members in HFMA's community. Although many of us are practicing social distancing, we can lean on each other during this challenging time. This is a time to band together and the entire HFMA staff is here to support you. In addition, I and the CEOs of ACHE, AMGA, MGMA, AAPL, and NAHQ have collaborated to sync up our resources. We're providing you the best resources we have available right now, collectively, to help you manage the evolving nature of COVID-19. We encourage you to visit the sites, and there'll be links on each other's sites on our websites, and use the information free of charge. We will be updating resources as we learn more. By working together, we will be better armed to advance the health and fulfill the missions that founded our great organizations. We're here for you. Let me end by thanking you for all that you do for your organization, for HFMA, and the healthcare industry at large. Thank you. Since the coronavirus came to the United States, we've all been speculating on the short and long-term changes it could bring to the healthcare industry. Today, we're starting to see a few of those changes as more begins to open up across the country, but there's a lot that's yet to be seen. I talked recently with Chris Ingersoll of R1RCM about what he thinks the future could hold. First of all, on the work from home front, what we've seen here in this pandemic is this sort of shocking resources that we never anticipated that would have to work from home before suddenly are going there. This is your front office staff actually working from home in the hospital, in the practice environment, as well as offshore resources in India working from home, which was something that certainly we had not anticipated would happen under really any scenario that we'd have the folks in India working from home, given the fact that all the infrastructure is really tied to the uh, physical environment of the office over there. In doing this, we're seeing obviously a lot of hardware networking, security considerations, compliance, protection of PHI, the things that we've been solving for in the office environment, obviously a big effort to extend that, enable, enable that to work also in the home environment with the proper security infrastructure to enable that same level of compliance in that environment. And then the other aspect key there, I think, is the ability to unlock capacity by flexing resources 
For example, one thing that we found is that you might have a front office person, for example, that's about 50% utilized in the registration process. And we'll have that person do other tasks working in that physical environment. But now that we have that person working at home, uh, he or she could potentially cover two separate desks, for example, and just be optimized for the resources or for the uh, efforts around the registration as opposed to picking up other tasks as well. So that ability to flex, I think, has the opportunity to un unlock a lot of capacity. You know, I think that as we solve these issues, a lot of lower costs, we can see then kind of going forward where you could look at how you can really optimize work from home and on-premise when things open up again. You don't necessarily need to bring everyone back in the office. You can optimize your real estate footprint, for example, because uh, you've gone through, as we're going through now, a lot of the rigor to really make all that happen, enable folks to work from home. There's a lot of opportunity then to maintain a different kind of a cost structure associated with that. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that consumerism is one of my favorite topics. So, of course, we delved into that as well. Telehealth, I think, is going to be pretty significant around this. We're seeing this emerge right now. And just backing up on the consumerism side in general, all this functionality has been in place for both telehealth and for remote registration, self-service functionality from a patient perspective, mobile functionality for the registration. Key here is not just the technology, of course, but this whole operational process around it, how you do the training, the patient communication, the education of that. We've also now seen, we've actually introduced this new concept that I was alluding to earlier of the front office registration person working from home as well. And the way we've made that work is the patient will go into the office or hospital environment and they're greeted with a sign that says, go to this website or call this phone number. And so that registration person is able to handle that without actually being in the risky hospital environment. So that's one aspect that we've seen here um, as being really valuable in sort of how we accommodate the unique issues here of this pandemic. And around back around telehealth too, all the streamlining that CMS has done around the reimbursement side of this, removing technology bar barriers. You could have a physician be at home as well as the patient. They could even be on a boat if you look at the regulations, and they can even communicate with the supporting staff around a physician assistant. All that completely now streamlined through uh, the CMS regulations that have come out here around this. I'm curious about your thoughts, because you've, you've mentioned this a few times, going in and picking up the phone instead of talking to a person sitting behind a desk. And I think probably patient acceptance of that type of thing is going to be you know, fine, especially right now. But I'm curious what you think is going to be the impact on just the greater patient experience. If this truly is a trend that's going to continue where, you know, a year from now when everything might be fine, I go to have service and, and there's nobody behind a desk. Is that going to, you know, even if it's not a conscious thing, is that going to impact the way I feel about the way I was treated when I got there because it's impersonal. I'm just picking up a phone. I think that the front office pick up the phone instead of uh, speaking to a person is a temporary thing, you know, associated with the epidemic that we're in right now. I don't see that specific use case I've alluded to necessarily living on. You can still increase efficiency, obviously, around some other functions, if you will, financial counseling, it's nice, though, to your point, patient satisfaction and the importance of patient being able to direct their care, the marketing element and the patient SAT scores as being such a relevant thing here within healthcare and for providers in healthcare as they look in the new dynamics in the industry to 
you know, what they can do around and creating loyalty and getting patients to come back and uh, consumer directed care more and more. I do see that as certainly some of these aspects being very temporary. And, you know, once things open up again, you're still going to want, I think, to have that personal touch, the thank you, if you will, the smile and et cetera, that, you know, people see in other consumer oriented industries. But on the other hand, on the other hand, I do think that the consumer directed care, everything we're learning about efficiency, you know, that clipboard you're still not going to want to do. So you want to be able to do that at home. And so some aspects of the inefficient that are not that human touch that you're alluding to, oh yeah, that's going to live on. And I think there's going to get a lot more value and a lot more potential market share shifting based on your ability to really appeal to what the consumers see and everything else they do in a consumer-oriented industry. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. And by the way, she's the one responsible for those fun little Easter eggs after the credits of each episode. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. The first few days of our virtual annual conference are coming up fast. You can learn about the sessions taking place June 24th and 26th on our website, hfma.org. We've been working on some new stuff for upcoming episodes of the podcast as well, so please do subscribe, and we'd love it if you could leave us a rating on the app of your choice. Also, keep in touch. You can reach out to our team at podcast at hfma.org. Uh, I forget to. Let me double check.